0: I started telling guys, like, hey, do you have a sense of, like, this primal nature in you? Like, no, okay, well, cool. you need to do that. You need to go find that right now. You need to take jiu-jitsu. You need to start lifting weights. You need to go hunt something. You need to fuck your life your wife like you're trying to kill her. Ready? Go. You, you have all of this stuff, but you have no sense of emotion. You can't feel your heart at all. Your heart is, like, a thousand miles away. You're terrified of emotion. You're terrified of your soul. You're terrified of full expression. You're terrified of being who you are in the world. You need to go do that. Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness, covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleaford.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Modern Happiness with me, your co-host, Matt Mihalik, and Taylor Sleaford. And wow, I can't tell you how excited Taylor and I were to have Trevor Boehm on our podcast. We were jazzed up. We got to go to his house in Evergreen, Colorado, and meet him in person. And the whole ride over there, we were just, oh my God, we were electrified. And meeting him in person and having him on the podcast, I got to tell you, we could have talked for three hours, probably more, about all the stuff he's doing. But Traver, what an incredible story this guy has who went from hitting rock bottom, losing his business partner, losing his wife, his wife just walking out on him and losing everything and really hitting rock bottom and and taking life by the horns and saying, I gotta figure this shit out. you know, Not woe is me, oh my life sucks, but I need to figure this shit out. And he took this project, this one year to live project and he lived like it was gonna be his last year on earth. At the same time knowing that he wasn't dying and how can he be a better man and step into this leadership? And that kind of leads into you know the work he does now with this uncivilized movement, as he calls it, the uncivilized nation, and being an uncivilized man in today's society, and going from what we grew, what a lot of people grew up as. Maybe if you're my age, thirty, your parents grew up as as this marble man that he calls it, this tough, rugged guy who doesn't cry, uh, he doesn't show emotions, and then some of some of you who grew up like i did 31 years old right and now you got to be this nice guy and now we need to find a balance of this nice guy and this tough rugged person and how do we do that how do we shape that in today's world and he, and that's what the uncivilized man is all about and just to listen to traver talk about it he's so passionate about helping men and even women helping women understand men and i think you'll be so inspired by traver's story of of you know how he hit rock bottom to creating this uncivilized movement and really changing the way men live to take back their leadership to take back their control in the world and really be the men they're supposed to be and that ultimately leads to a more happy life which we of course get to at the end of the episode. So really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It is Taylor and I had such a freaking great time with Traver and uh, yeah, that's it. So enjoy this next episode and stay tuned to the end. We're going to do another giveaway. So all right, I'll just tell you if you post your biggest takeaway on Instagram And tag me, Taylor, and Traver. We, Taylor and I, will buy you Traver's book. It has changed a lot of men's lives. And if you like the stuff he's talking about, then you're going to love his book. Taylor and I both read it. It's phenomenal. It's a great way, again, like I said, just what he teaches to take back control, to be the man you're supposed to be in this world, in this modern age, and create modern happiness for yourself. So buckle up. Enjoy this episode with Traver Bellum.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We have a very special guest. We are in Evergreen, Colorado today with Traver Boehm. Traver, how are you doing?
0: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. We're, Thank
2: you so much for being on.
0: Yeah, we're so excited to have you. We
1: walked in and we just start talking right away, and <laughs> I we're like, we got to say some of this for the podcast. Yeah. This, is, this is good stuff. Um, awesome. So we start off every podcast with some rapid fire, sure. just to get to
2: know you a little bit. So Matt and I will kind of go back and forth. Okay. Um, But to get started, first thing, what is one thing you're grateful for?
0: Mm, I'm grateful for my partnership. Yeah, for Katie. That's a a COVID bonus. You know, everyone's like, oh, COVID was the worst year of my life. Like, Well, there were some hard times. But uh, yeah, that was one of the the most beautiful things that came out of COVID. So my relationship. That is
2: awesome.
1: Awesome. Love that. And just so you know rapid fire rabbit is very loose with us sure so sure, sure feel sure. free to expand okay yeah, just um, one word <laughs> so air yeah <laughs> uh Taylor gave it away a bit but uh where are you from and where do you live now
0: uh, I'm from Wilton Connecticut but living in Evergreen Colorado I spent the vast majority of my adult life in California and then the last four years or so traveling and teaching and then COVID kind of locked me down and this is where I decided to stay and good, I love it good here. thing yeah yeah
1: yeah it's beautiful here I remember. Sorry, I also remember whatever podcast it was. Maybe one of yours recently. You were talking about the fox, the foxes in your yeah, yard learning yeah, yeah, to yeah. play and find their den. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so cool. Yeah. That's why I moved out here. And I'm I'm slowly inching my way further into the mountains.
0: <laughs> There's a dog across the street that has finally had a uh, like a bark shocker put on. Mm. Uh, when I first moved here, the thing barked. Uh, ridiculously and i sent her a very strongly worded email and now it has a a, a shocker so we can tell though when it barks and then you like yelps yeah. i know there's something big and, and we both run out and it's like it's definitely the fox or something's oh, nice. in the yard yeah yeah, cool. yeah
2: yeah as we were driving up we got closer to your house we saw a couple of deer and we're like
0: oh sweet
2: okay we're still city slickers we're not <laughs> <Yeah>. quiet <Yeah. laughs> man gotta play it cool um okay traver what is your favorite thing to do for fun
0: surfing yeah, surfing or jujitsu. It was less than point one so second quick. response. Yeah, I love it.
1: Nice. Where's your favorite spot to surf?
0: That's a big question. We could we could sit here for a couple hours. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's not. <do> probably that. <laughs> Rincon in Santa Barbara, California, uh, or a, there's a beach in, in Nicaragua called in, off a town called Gigante mm. that just has amazing waves. Both of those places. Nice. Good. Yeah. It's also or the Caribbean. Other. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. There's a if anyone's been to Saint Bart's which is like this beautiful $100 million yacht place, but it has like epic surf, just epic, epic surf.
1: Nice. Very cool. Uh, What is your most used emoji?
0: Oh, Lord. I don't. I don't know. Maybe a wink. I have like. This is I like. I, I'm just making shit up. I was. I was <laughs> I wondering no if this idea. is. Yeah. 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 Fair to say a, you a haven't been asked emoji? this yet on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. 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 This is. Oh, I have to. I'll like circle back in a couple weeks. okay <laughs> like, Hey fellas.
1: Trevor's gonna t- be like, "This is the best podcast ever." They asked me what my favorite emoji was. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever asked yeah. that before.
0: Dear diary, today it happened. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now it now gives people some insight into. Yeah. yeah. What kind of guy you are?
2: Uh, all right, Trevor. What is your walk-up song?
0: Ooh. Um, God, it was from, I know it, Jay-Z and Linkin Park, Encore. Oh, yeah, yeah, encore. Yeah, 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 Nom Cookin Encore. Yes. With the blues. Yeah. Okay. If I hear it, I get goosebumps. Nice. Still to this day.
1: I feel like this is like the first song I actually know. People are always mm-hmm. saying songs, like, I don't know what that is. Yep. Nice. Love it. That's a good one. Um, I know, tough question. Favorite book Ooh. besides
0: yours? <sighs> That's another biggie. I'd probably say "Defy Gravity" by Carolyn Mace, hmm. or any of her work. Uh, the first book I read of hers was—I um, have it. Where is it? Um, "Anatomy of the Spirit," but that was a—that was a game changer. Yeah, I'd say "Defy Gravity." What's that about? It's about using challenging times, or putting putting challenging times in a spiritual perspective, hmm. without bypassing. But what the book allows you to do is kind of rise above a challenging period and then give it some context. So you're not just stuck in the weeds of this, like, oh, my life is shit. It's oh, this has happened to other people. This has happened in these patterns. Here are some of the potentials that that can come out of this if you decide to look at it and choose it that way. Cool. So, yeah, she's a she's a phenomenal author, a woman from Chicago in her probably what, 70s, who's like a theologian and studied. All studied religion, but yet has the Chicago like, oh, it's your inner child. Well, maybe you should grow the fuck up. (laughs) And you're like, oh, wow, I think I just got slapped around by this seventy year old author. (laughs) Yeah, really cool lady. Nice. Yeah, I
2: love that. I'm gonna look into that for sure. Okay, do you have a nickname?
0: No. You know, people always thought Traver was my last name Okay. because I grew up around athletes and grew up playing sports and everyone was called by their last name. And so right. I remember specific conversations of people being like, so Matt, I'm like, don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> I'm like, so Traver's not your last name. I'm like, nope, Traver's my first name. That's funny. So, yeah. yeah,
1: It's already unique. So you got that covered. It gets stuck there. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Unfortunately, I wanted to be an attorney because that's what my dad was. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I took a logic class in college, and I got a D, and uh, that wasn't a good sign. That was like, this is how you'll do on the LSAT, and so uh, I went a different direction. Good move. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm really glad I'm not an attorney.
2: (laughs) Okay, last, rapid fire. What is your superpower? And this is not like flying or, you know. uh, Unless you can do that, we would (laughs) love to know. (laughs) And we're going to need a demo. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what... What's your unique superpower?
0: My superpower is affecting people with words. So I'll say oh, that. Buckle up,
1: people. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a podcast yeah. with words.
0: Especially the written word that I just have to, to claim. Yeah. I awesome.
2: love that. Okay. Perfect. We're going to dive in. So sure. We talked a little bit uh, before, and Matt and I were, were talking on the write-up of what direction do we want to go? And I think a great place to start off is... We know that you did this uh, year to live project, if you will, where, Mm -hmm. you know, correct me on any of this if I have it wrong, but it's like a lot of people think if I had a year left on earth, and you were going to die in a year. It's like, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And you got to this place where you said, okay, I'm going to do that, but it's year to live. Mm-hmm. And you spent this year just doing all these unique things. Um, so we're curious about that. What led to that? Like, why did you decide to do that? Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst? What did that year look like? And maybe mm-hmm. we'll dive into some of the things that you chose to do. Why did you choose to do that? And then, you know, following up, like, how did that year or those things and experiences shape like, what you're doing now and mm-hmm. the person that you are? Okay, And you can kind of dive in at any point on sure, that.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Those are big questions. Uh, I had the classic rug ripped out for me life situation about a week before my 40th birthday. Uh, my now ex-wife exited our marriage very quickly. Um, and we had had a miscarriage a couple months before. So there was this rapid succession of loss. It was the miscarriage, her leaving, and then my business partner at the time, we ran across with gym together, and I spent the night at his house after she left because I was too fucked up to be in my own house. And the next morning, uh, we had breakfast and he said, you know, while your life's kind of falling apart, maybe I should tell you that I don't think we should work together either. And so I took that, because of the because of uh, Carolyn Mace's work, I had this thing pop in my head where I remembered her saying, I just got chills. Uh, anytime I get chills, I know we're talking about the right shit. Things happen in threes. And if things happen in threes, just take notice. Don't freak out, but just take notice. So I thought, okay, miscarriage, divorce, business partnership, divorce. Let me just sit here and let me kind of be in this situation rather than try to fix it, rather than try to mend it, rather than try to close this window that's now been opened. And so it, it created a lot of space right? Suddenly I wasn't planning for a kid. I wasn't married. And I knew I was going to be leaving what had been more than a full-time job. You guys know building a CrossFit gym from the ground up was seven days a week, often 15 hours a day. So suddenly I had all of this time and space and I fell apart as most people would. I was just kind of on rock bottom. And, um, I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I had this burning question of like, I don't wanna just follow people's advice, which was open another gym and in the next town, start dating again, like fix everything that had quote gone wrong. And my sense at the time was if I do that, I'll be right back here in three years. So there's a lesson in here that I need to get to and I need to to absorb or live through. And so here's the long story short. I was at the gym for the rest of the year. And what we would do every third Thursday was someone would come in and give a talk, an expert on like a chiropractor, a guy who'd like played with bees, like whatever random person mm-hmm. that we thought would help the membership. So I said, I'm going to take one of these. Uh, I had given a bunch of public speeches and I gave a talk about pain. This was maybe three, four months into this situation about how you can use pain to your advantage. I have about 50 gym members in this facility and I'm up talking about my situation and what I'm doing with it and how I want to use it then afterwards one of the women in the audience came and pulled me aside and said hey I'm actually was a new gym member said I'm the producer of TEDx Santa Barbara this talk which was an hour long needs to get boiled down to 18 minutes and you need to do this on a TED stage And I was like, no fucking way I cannot do that. Uh, I am, my life is a mess. I have like two sets of attorneys. I don't sleep. I'm like some days just getting out of bed is a good day. Other days I feel like I can tackle the world. So like, well, just think about this, sit on this for a little bit. And I went, okay, not sitting on that. Uh, and life kind of just went on. And one of the things I did at the time was I was a chronic meditator where I had been for 20 years, but I wanted to double down on that. I felt like part of the call of all of this loss was to learn how to sit and be present. So I drove down to against the stream meditation center, which is this big meditation center in LA run by Noah Levine. His dad wrote this book called a year to live. I didn't know that at the time. So I drive down to this meditation center in LA sit for the 45 minutes. There's like a Dharma talk after Like, cool. That was great. Go to the bathroom come out of the bathroom, there's this cork board and on the cork board is this piece of paper that says the year to live program. And it just, it grabbed me and I was like, what the fuck is this? Here we go. Um, so I went home and I Googled this thing. I was like, what the hell is the year to live program? And I looked at it and it was a 12 month program for people who had terminal illness based off of Stephen, his, Noah's father's book, it would be a series of 12, uh, a year-long meditation, 12 meetings where people would come in and internally prepare themselves to pass. I thought, holy shit, this is phenomenal. Maybe I'll do this. So I reached out to them and they said, yeah, you can do it even if you're not dying, but we need you to be in LA for a year. You'll have to come every month to the to the facility. This isn't an online thing. I was like, eh, I don't think I want to stay in California. Like this huge windows open up. I don't want to dedicate a year to being anywhere. So here's where it got interesting. I go home from that and I'm like chewing on this whole thing. And Kimberly, the the TEDx producer calls me and says, Hey, here's the deal. TEDx LA, Los Angeles will take you. Like, if you want to do this, you can be on their stage in a couple months, but here's what they want. They want a six week social experiment. So everybody who speaks at this TEDx has done something like uh, empirically. Like there's a woman who's going to collect all of her trash, everything that she uses for the next six weeks, and she's going to go get on the stage and be like, this is how much trash I used. So what I want you to do is take 20 people and run them through a six-week protocol, like your pain protocol, and empirically document how they were on day one and at the end of day six, or week six. And I was like, no fucking way. I'm not in charge. I don't want to be in charge of anybody. I, like, again, my life is literally like I'm throwing up some mornings or like going in and hitting PRs. It's like that variant. And so, now you
1: want six people to go deep in their pain and you're 20, <laughs> 20 people that I'm responsible people, yeah. for. Like I can't yeah.
0: even be responsible for me. So I, she's like, all right, well, think about it. And I hung up the phone and had, I got full chills and just like this roof of something came through. And I called her back and I said, here's what I'm going to do. Call TEDxLA and tell them I will be back in 12 months and I'm going to run myself through a 12 month social experiment and I'm going to live the entire year as if it were my last. And she just went, holy fuck and hung up and I hung up and I went, holy fuck, that's what I'm going to do for the next year. And it all like it, it fell into place as much as it could at the time. I didn't want to bypass and be like, Oh, this is why this whole thing happened.
2: So was was it basically on that call? You were like, it was right before it.
0: Like I hung up with her and then whatever it was like that series of events added up to this opening that I just felt in my body. Like, this is what we're going to do. Okay. This is what 2016 will look like. And this was maybe, you know, September, October at the time. And so I got off the phone with her and did what any good CrossFitter would do. I went and bought a whiteboard and I nailed it to the wall of my apartment, like little studio apartment. And I sat on that meditation mat and I just stared at the fucking whiteboard. I was like, okay, what would I do if this were my last year? Like, what would I really do? Not like I would go to Thailand and bang hookers. I would go like check off these little bucket list boxes or like try to meet Oprah or whatever it was. I sat there. And sat there and sat there. It was probably two hours before, boom, this thing rushes through and goes, you're going to volunteer in hospice. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I, I don't even know what hospice is. But went up, wrote it down. Okay, well, back to meditating. Like, where am I going to do this? Oof. New Mexico. Fuck, I've never been to New This is stupid. New Mexico. Like the, the thought process was whatever comes through, it's coming through. This isn't about me anymore. And so I just made lists of, huh, okay, I've always wanted to do like a Huck Finn type adventure, Boulder Outdoor Survival School. Okay, let's check in with them. Dive with sharks. Uh, Apologize to my ex-girlfriend. Bring my family together. Like all of these things started coming together and forming a list that I then thought about and felt into of here's what I wanted to do with the year. I wanted to fill in all of the blanks that I felt like never got filled in up until 40. I need to heal all of these things that have happened to me, that human, happens to humans. I need to close loops with people I still have open loops with. So I need to go back and fill in the bottom. And then also, what do I need to learn so that the next 40 years are radically different than the prior 40 years? Because I, was a, uh, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was a heavy drinker. I was a heavy pot smoker, heavy porn user heavy exerciser, heavy, anything to not feel in my body as a dude. It's like feeling bad, all the things to not feel good. So I realized like, that's not how I want to live the next 40 years. So it was this collection of working with teachers of, I went to meet Michaela Bohm. I met to meet, went to meet uh, Robert Masters, did men my first men's group, my first kind of sacred circles, did ayahuasca, did all of these kind of Venture ideas, and the big one which we can dive into is at Robert Master, uh, Robert Masters Group. A guy said, "If you really want to know what death is, you need to do a dark retreat." I was so like,
2: glad you brought this up. Fuck.
0: Okay, what's a dark retreat? And he told me this was a guy who, um, God, it's such a crazy story. He had terminal, uh, not cirrhosis, but he had a liver issue, and then had it like cured. So he's literally preparing his life for death, like he's preparing to die, like you have a year left. Goes and does some wild experimental medicine and out of the country, and it solves his problem. And so talking with him about death was fascinating. But anyway, the idea was let. what is one of the subjects that we in the West don't talk about, and don't dive into, and don't really think about, and don't incorporate and integrate? Death. Death. Yeah, so I'm, and I have, I'm not dying. But my marriage has died. My child has died. My business has died. The life that I thought I had and the life that I had built for 40 years was now dead. Okay, I need to fucking study death. I know this is weird. Like, I'm a CrossFit coach. This isn't your average right turn. But it felt like that was the way to go. And I felt like if I'm I'm surrendering to all of this loss and saying, okay, I have no idea what's above me or below me or around me, But for the first time in my life, I will not try to control what happens. Okay, this is—I'm just like push me along the way, and so all of that kind of unfolded.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. When you're sitting there at this whiteboard writing all this stuff down, then you're like, "Cool, I'm going to do this stuff." I'm curious—you kind of you—you can can see by your body language like how fucking scary that starts to feel. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm actually going to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if you could take yourself back there, like. What were those feelings and maybe going to do the very first thing you did and kind of pairing that question with, was there an expected outcome? You kind of just said, just take it as it comes, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to fix this, fix things in a year, right? So,
0: yeah, it's a great question. The expected outcome is an odd. Here's how I'll verbalize it. I wanted to, if it were real, December 31st at midnight, take a breath. That was completely full. So I know that's a bit metaphorical, but I didn't want to have any little piece that was like, God, I wish I'd, or I really want to learn, or I wish I had solved it or, you know, had this conversation. It was full permission for a year, Hmm. like full fucking permission. I'm going to do all the things on this list. And the, the fear was, I'm sure everybody can imagine you take an idea and it lives in your head and then you speak it, you verbalize it then it comes time to shit or get off the pot, right? Like then, okay, I got to, I'm going to go sign up for the jujitsu tournament. I actually have to show up and be there and do the thing. So I made all these phone calls and set all these plans up. Like, Hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to work with you guys are here. I have to get like an apartment. Like it became real, but it wasn't until I gave my ex-wife, my dog, put everything in storage and just drove.
1: I did the same thing, by the way. Right. Divorce bros. What's up? There you go. Gave my ex the dog.
0: Yeah. So you get give, it. Given the it's dog real. was harder than the, the All divorce. All of it. But, like, it, I don't give a but fuck but about yeah. anything. Like, yeah. every every night, I'm like, yeah. I just want the dog back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get it. So that was the real, f- wasn't so much fear. It was literally driving into the unknown. Hmm. Like, driving into a fog. I have no idea of the vastness of this adventure. How it will change me. How it will hurt me. What will ha- what good will come of it? What challenges will come of it? I will be different at the end of it, and I think that's the scariest thing for anybody in an undertaking to literally admit this is going to change me, and I have no idea how. Yeah, but it, I trust it'll be okay.
1: But isn't that better than staying where you are? <laughs> and that's <laughs> I, I think a thousand percent what I, what I try and talk to people and you know getting them signed up for my course. And I'm like, I know this investment's scary. Yeah, but staying the same is way scarier. Making shit money as a personal trainer yeah. is fucking terrible and you're not living your life.
0: For some people, it's scarier. Mm. But for a lot of people, that comfort and that certainty mm. are what they crave. Mm. And it's its scarier to do anything outside of that bubble. Mm-hmm. right? So this was a massive, it's like stepping off the cliff and just praying that something was there under that first foot. But then it was. Mm. Then there was again. Then there was again. So I just went with it for a whole year.
2: I I love what you said of just, you knew that you would be changed, but you didn't know how. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. And like so many people that I talk to, and even in my own life, those are the things that have had the biggest impact in my life. I'm like, I don't know what this is going to do, but I need to do this thing. And I think so many people, what holds them back is they have to know a clear outcome Yeah, of like what exactly going to happen. Yeah. So to dive more into that, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but you spent 28 days in a jungle in Guatemala.
0: Yeah. Complete darkness. Yeah.
2: Uh, I am so curious. I would love to hear. That's one of the things you did. Sure. More about that. What, what is the, you know, idea behind that? Like, why was that created? And then, yeah, what was that experience like for you?
0: It was everything that that man said it was, which was, it was an experience of death. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm like, cool. Go, go hang out in the room for a month and let me know what it was like. I spent the first three months leading up to that working in hospice. So literally holding hands with people who were dying or showing up the next day and hearing so-and-so died last night. You won't see them again. So I was in the death world for months, get on a plane, fly to Guatemala, get off the plane, take a boat, a bus, all the things show up at this ashram. And the people there are like, you ready to go in? Like, no fanfare, no hyperbole, no pomp and circumstance. They walked me through the little hut with the lights on to figure out, like, here's the toilet, here's the thing. Uh, And then it was game on. But to give context, think of in every spiritual modality, there's a period of, like, reclusion, of leaving society, taking yourself out of the flow, being with—especially for men— of being with ourselves, of being okay with ourselves, of sitting with ourselves alone, going through some kind of initiation and then returning to society. We see this in the hero's journey and we see it in every adolescent initiation ceremony that there is. It's what is initiation by definition, it is a controlled death. And so what was this? It was the archetypal experience of death. Of literally entering into a room having a door shut behind me and no light right what is death being put in a box or put in the ground or having no light and that is your reality for however long you do it so i went in there with the idea of i have no fucking idea what's going to happen in here just equal parts terror right like i remember getting into this ashram which is a spiritual center right? And it's very rustic. It's, it's in the jungle. And I'm, I walk in and there's this huge L table and all of these like fucking hippies and yogis are sitting around singing and like eating vegan food with their fingers. And they're like wearing like skirts and garbs and everybody has beautiful long hair and beards. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I basically walk in like this, you know, like jeans and a t-shirt and like, Hey guys, I'm Trevor, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And I'm pretty scared, honestly, because it's now real. It's the shit or get off the pot moment. This isn't something I'm writing about or speaking about. I'm about to get locked in the room. And at the end of this meal where I'm just kind of in my head thinking, uh, the, the guy who ran the place is probably a 30 year old German engineer. I remember him looking at me over a bowl of soup and going 28 days, huh? It's not about how long that is. And he makes this fucking weird demon face. He's like, it's about how wide it is. And right then I almost shit myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah. like, what, have I, what yeah. have I done? What have I done? <laughs> what have like I done? What have I done? a movie. <laughs> yeah. And then some, honestly, like someone starts singing and I just closed my eyes and took a breath and was like, I'll be fine. Whatever happens, I'll be fine. And about 10 minutes later, I told the woman who ran it with him, like, I'm ready to go in. And they just put my backpack to the side and, and I went,
1: I'm freaking the fuck out. Just listening. I'm going to be honest. Cause I heard you talk yeah. about this on other podcasts. I'm like, yeah, it's Should wild I do this. And it, and just even that thought, I was like, that is scary.
0: Yeah. I now blindfold people in workshops and we'll leave them in the woods for 20 minutes, a half hour. And it's like, now imagine that for the next month. Like um, day four I, is I when can't. you realize like I have to do this seven more times. Imagine the next four days with, you can't see, right? It's, it's wild. And, and so why do it? because it gets rid of every single possible distraction other than the physical. Still had to go to the bathroom, still had to eat. Other than that, there's literally, what do you do? What, like right, right now there's some part of you is registering I have books. There's flowers. We're, we're here where there's each other. There's conversation, yeah. but there was nothing. So I wanted to peel back every layer and get to what I, I you know what I wanted to do? And this sounds psychopathic, Is if I'm on rock bottom, I don't ever want to fucking get back here again. But while I'm here, I want to dig, Mm. right? I want to like peel back. like, well, what's underneath? What's underneath this?
1: Do do you feel like you peeled back all the layers?
0: I went insane multiple times. So yeah. Yeah. Insane. Like imagine a month, right? And it was for the first eight days or so as a CrossFitter, I just worked out and meditated and was like, this is going to be a boring ass month. Like I can white knuckle my way through this, strong enough. And on the eighth night, uh, I had a dr- I got woken up from a dream that I was walking down a beach with my ex-wife, hand in hand with the child that we lost. And I woke up and I was a fucking mess. And so at this same so now I wake up and I'm I'm a ma- I'm not okay. And they had told me that there would be no noise in there, so it'd just be my 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 own thoughts. But what I didn't know is about 25 yards away for the next 48 hours was a construction project where people were grinding bamboo. So all I hear is. And I lost it. And that was the break that I needed to kind of surrender to the room. And then I probably spent the next six, seven days on the floor, just sobbing and then went crazy multiple times. Wow.
2: So what was it like coming out of that? So we get day 28 what happens open the door you hit light and then yeah
0: so think there's a build up to it right like there's this a peak and arc and then a come down and at that point i was so i was so i felt like i'd gotten what i needed um i was i was ready to come out and i actually stayed up the whole night cuz i didn't sleep much after that eighth day and i remember hearing footsteps of someone coming and they would always ring a bell to let me know there was there was time to eat, like the, the food situation. And I hear the bell ring. And this woman goes, uh, you made it. You can come out. Congratulations. And I hear her side of the door open. And this is going to fuck me up, just so you know. And I open my side of the door. And there's this woman who's just dressed from head to toe in white. And she squats down because the door was only like two feet tall. And she sticks her hands out. And I hold her hands, and she says, "I'm proud of you. You made it." And I said, "I'm proud of me too." And then she invited me to yoga. She's like, "You want to come to yoga?" I was like, "I don't think I can do that. Thank you." And she leaves, and I retreated back to the middle of the room, and I probably spent the next three hours there. I could not get myself out. It was so much had happened. Like we glossed over the experience, but like it was lifetimes in that room of pain of of suffering of anger of of everything you can possibly imagine that it would be and yet I didn't want to break the situation I didn't want to break I didn't want it to end on some level and so I, I sat in the doorway again for maybe a half day then people would come down and be like okay you need some food I'd be like I'm I'm good I'll, I'll be up in a minute and it was then highly anticlimactic. Like I went and I had I had a lot of motion sickness. Mm-hmm. So I tried to walk and couldn't walk very well. And they just said, Hey, there's a bed like at the top of this hut. Go go sleep for a bit. And I went and I, I was so dizzy, like wrapped a towel around my head and actually put a book on tape on. I had started to listen, this is a random piece, but I started listening to Legends of the Fall on audio and then stopped after the first chapter. And all I wanted was someone to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want my own thoughts. I didn't want my own ideas. So I put that on, but I could only listen to it at like 1% volume because it was so goddamn loud. And I just lay in bed for, and I slept for about 24 hours actually.
1: Was there a coming out of that hut? Was there a fear of, I don't know. Now I got to go out here and, bring on some more pain. Now I'm going to go experience some more shit or is it facing the
0: world? No, it was, this is going to sound odd. <clears throat> it was almost as if it didn't happen. It had happened on such a deep level that the, the guy who ran the ashram was like, be very careful around people. People are going to want to talk to you and ask you questions and it's going to be very jarring. And it wasn't like, I, I remember sleeping that whole time coming down at breakfast and being like, so what have you guys been up to? Mm-hmm. Like, how's the day? And just wanting people and wanting conversation and wanting that. And it took some time for me even to register that it had happened. Uh, he, the guy who ran it tried to interview me a week later. And I was like, oh, yeah, shit, I just did that. And it was, I don't know, I don't know how to explain why it, it felt like that. Yeah. It wasn't here. It had all happened, it's hard to explain, like gutterly. And so it changed every aspect of my life forever to this day it's changed every aspect of my life but for the first week after i couldn't talk about it And it wasn't like oh my god i can't talk about it it was like uh shit i can't remember really Hmm. it it, it was almost like if you've ever done psychedelics like in the middle of it it's this huge storm of events and afterwards you have these little blips of memory that may come days and weeks later
1: yeah I, i think that's beautiful and and Maybe that's a good transition into you feel like it changed your life forever. And maybe before we transition, I'm curious, after the end of this year of living like you were going to die, do you feel like you were healed after that year? Could you take your breath at the end of that year?
0: Yeah, I, I really could. You know, I could. I had done so much in that year. I had learned so much. I had expanded so much. I had healed so much. But the reality is, there was a new clock that started January 1st, which is what the fuck are you going to do now? Like, cool, now what? Right? Which is the unfortunate part of any huge trip like that or any huge adventure. Like, okay, now I have to make money. Now I have to pay rent. Now I have to buy food. Now I have to be a, like, do I want to be part of society again? I do. I wanted to do, if you know the hero's journey, the last piece is taking what you've learned and give it to the culture. And so I was furiously writing and I wanted to speak and I had gotten back on a Ted stage and done all the stuff that I wanted to be out now sharing this because I had a different, this is hard to explain guys. I had a different lens on the culture. I could look at things and be like, you guys don't see this, do you? And then had to deal with like, but who the fuck am I to tell you this? I'm a CrossFit coach Mm -hmm. and an acupuncturist. I'm a guy whose wife left them. I'm a guy who couldn't go two days without getting high and jerking off. Like who the fuck am I to tell you that I can see the brokenness of your culture.
1: That, that is why everything you just said is exactly why. Right. And, uh, here we go guys. I got a dollar in my bag, but, um, I rode my bike across the country 90 days, one summer. And it was exactly that the journey was over. And it was like, now I got to go be an engineer again and live in this fucking nine to five life and work for the weekends. I don't want this anymore. I've just seen, I won't compare my journey to yours but I've just seen how every day can be beautiful and amazing Mm -hmm. for 90 days. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to wish for two sevenths of the week, you know, to come by. Right, right, right. And I think that's why I asked that question where it's like, you're at this whiteboard and what is the outcome you expect? And I think it's so beautiful to not want an outcome to say, I'm just going to do this because I need to Mm -hmm. same with my bike trip. I needed to do it. I had to get out of engineering. I had to do this thing. I don't know what the hell it's going to, what's going to come of it sure but i have to do it and then once it was over yeah it's like it's very anticlimactic right but it was the whole fucking journey that changed me mm-hmm. and it's that next step being being of being like okay what now mm-hmm. because it can't go back to the way it was
0: mm-hmm. yeah i feel you
2: when i i think what's different is you said all those things you're a guy who was just a crossfit coach your wife left you addictions so that's how you can relate but that's who you used to be mm-hmm. and then you healed that and mm-hmm. that's, that's the, now the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine that's when you started this movement, mm-hmm. man, uncivilized, mm-hmm. when, was that a quick progression for you of, cause you had mentioned you, you finished and you decided you want to get back in society and then finishing off the hero's journey, you want to get back. What did that process look like in terms of deciding that? And then how did you then progress to kind of getting to what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. And I'm sorry, just for context, sure. when was the divorce and the business
0: separation? How long ago was that? And- this was 2015. Okay. And the year to live project was 2016. Okay. So I landed, I had this beautiful, uh, this was like three days before the project ended. My, I was in Connecticut. I was in Norwalk uh, with a bunch of guys from high school. Uh, I was just having dinner. And one of my friends was like, well, what are you going to do next? I'm like, I don't know. he was, like, where are you going to sleep on Monday? I was like, I don't know. I have a house that you're welcome to that you can just live in until you get back on your feet. I was like, okay, cool. So I go live in the Hamptons and I'm, it's, it's it's super tough. It's like a (laughs) beautiful, beautiful estate, but I'm alone. Mm. And the Hamptons are empty in the winter. This is January. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get this message to the world? I wrote the part of the year to live project. The asterisk was I would do it publicly So I wrote the entire time I blogged with an editor. So I'd put out two pieces a week and, and create all and create a following of people who were with me. So now all of a sudden I have this huge experience and yet I don't want to write that book for some reason. It just doesn't feel right to put it out and like shove it into the world. So I literally don't know what to do. And I spend like three, three and a half weeks just like, watching murder documentaries and fucking off in my friend's house and waiting for surf. And my buddy, God bless him. Calls me. and is like, you're wasting your life. Get your shit together. I have a challenge for you. I want you to write 65 emails to the, you who found out your wife was leaving that morning. And I'm going to package this as a thing. And we'll, wow. we'll like, we'll sell it as something. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And then literally that was, voof. I sat at a desk and for the next three and a half, four weeks, and I got to 65 uh, and just told him, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to 90 and I'm going to turn it into a book. And that'll be the first piece of thing I put out into the world after this. And so I wrote the book, um, today I rise and published it. And it was this thing of like, cool. I wrote a book. I published a book. Now, what the fuck am I going to do? Cause the book makes like a dollar 37 cents every time I sell one. <laughs> So it, I have to think of something to do. And now here's to answer your question. Here's where it gets interesting. Men start reaching out to me. For the first time in my life, my old history was female clients as an acupuncturist, very feminine world, gym, female, etc. Why are guys writing to me? Hey, I read your book. I'm in the middle of a divorce. It saved my life. Hey, I'm in the middle of a divorce. I just quit drinking because of your book. Over and over And I have nothing but time. So I'm like, what's your phone number? Let's get on a call. Hi, I'm Traver. You're Bob. What's going on? Tell me about your life. Just start talking to dudes over and over and over and start getting a feeling that like, oh, wow, there's something going on here. Whatever the year prior had done to me gave me the ability to look at these guys' situation from a lens that wasn't the situation. Like you're not getting divorced because your wife hates you. You're getting divorced because you have shitty boundaries. You have no connection to your masculine power and you're a fucking nice guy. So change that shit and your life will be different. And I get the email back like three months later. Oh, we're back together. I did this, this, and this. I took, we took your advice. You should probably charge for this. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, charge for what? I'm just getting on the phone with guys. And so this thing started happening. And then, over, it happened enough, you guys, where I was like, okay, I also need to make some money. I'll start coaching men. This is just a weird thing that I'll do. I don't, I don't want to do it. It'll just be temporary. I remember going to a workshop with a mentor who I still have. And at the time, I said, like, I'm going to be a divorce coach. And I had, like, a whole business behind it. I had a, a thing behind it. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, you'll probably do that for a couple months. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, go fuck yourself. Watch me. I'll do it forever. And then three months later, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And this, the conversations happened enough. And I started to see the same themes over and over and over and over with men that they were missing either the primal side, the fight and the fuck, or they were missing what I called the divine side, the consciousness side, the feed and the feel. And so I started telling guys like, Hey, do you have a sense of like this primal nature in you? Like, no. Okay, well, you need to do that. You need to go find that right now. You need to take jiu-jitsu. You need to start lifting weights. You need to go hunt something. You need to fuck your, life, your wife like you're trying to kill her. Ready, go. You, you have all of this stuff, but you have no sense of emotion. You can't feel your heart at all. Your heart is like a thousand miles away. You're terrified of emotion. You're terrified of your soul. You're terrified of full expression. You're terrified of being who you are in the world. You need to go do that. And. This was at a time, this is what was interesting about the timing. This is when Me Too was hitting. And so I was in New York for Me Too, which, and Me Too was just like article after article after article after news thing of like men bad, boys bad, toxic masculinity, masculinity bad, everything fucking bad, 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 bad. bad. And I'd get to the end of all of these articles and all of these interviews and all of this shit and go like, now what? Where's the, here's how we solve this. And it didn't exist. And so I got really frustrated. I was like, you know what? Fuck all of you. I'll fix it. And so I just threw some stuff out on social media. Like, you want to solve the masculinity problem? Do we really? Here's how you do it. And my life changed in a day because I was flooded by both men and women saying like, oh, this is the message we were looking for, right? This is, this is it. And, and I had no feeling around this guy's like, this is like, you know, waking up one day and like, I don't know. Right? And then yeah. having to put it in a way that it actually landed, having to actually categorize it, having to be like, there's 12 steps to this process, fight and fuck, feed and feel. These are the things that we need to talk about in each. And so I was working with guys over and over and over and kept writing the same goddamn emails, kept having the same conversation. And so I remember having a business coach at the time who was like, what's the one thing you think would change your business? I said, I got to write another book. And literally the next day I locked myself in a house in Fort Collins for six weeks and I pumped out man uncivilized and that changed everything.
2: Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I I would love to dive into this. I think the more I've been learning about you and I read your book and it just really hits home. And I, you know, you talked about the, the me too movement. And I think this is almost a societal problem where we're like, we just swing the pendulum too far one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, You you talk about this like oh you're too masculine and nowadays you know men are supposed to be you know in touch with their feelings and it's okay to be vulnerable and it is but then it's like swings to the other way and I know Matt and I have talked about this I'd love to dive into that a little more and you talk about um, being a nice guy Mm -hmm. and that really resonates with me talk about like what does it look like to be a nice guy Mm -hmm. and then. You know, where is the balance between you know, being a nice guy but also not being an asshole?
1: Sure, 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 and, sure. And fucking your wife like you want to kill her.
0: <laughs> you know, with consent. Of course. Obviously. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ready? You prepared to die, bitch? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's your words. Uh, and we found the Instagram clip <laughs> for yeah.
1: this episode. Well, Traver, she said no. <laughs> well, how did you say it?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh, uh huh. So, a nice guy, and let's, let's put this term, it's got a capital N and a capital G. So, I'm not talking about being a nice person. Talking about the, like, the system or the, the set of patterns that a nice guy has. And so if we, if we look at it culturally, why does a nice guy exist? A nice guy is someone who is far more interested in pleasing the feminine and getting his okayness in the world from women than he is from self-generating it or getting it from men. Does that make sense? So as a, uh, I was a nice guy. I had a feminist mother, two feminist older sisters, and a dad who worked a lot, and a dad who was checked out. So I was far more comfortable around women than I was around men. And what's the golden rule that most of us grew up with around women, which is "happy wife, happy life." And even if you're not married, you get it. Like the worst thing that we could do in my house was upset my mother, or upset my sisters. That was the worst thing I could do as a, as a guy. So I walked out into the world. And went, I'm okay when women are okay. I'm okay when my girlfriend's okay. Not I'm okay and she's okay. Or I'm okay and she's allowed to not be okay. That has nothing to do with me. My job is not to make her okay. My job is to make me okay. So this pattern, it's it's really, it's male codependency. We don't like to use that word because it sounds like a diagnosis and it freaks a lot of people out. But codependency is literally that. I'm not okay. If you're not okay, I am okay if you're okay. So, what does that necessitate? It means I've got to constantly be managing you and constantly be managing your state. I cannot have my own needs because my own needs may interfere with you being okay. If I have needs, that means that's going to put some onus on you or some pressure on you, and then you're not going to be okay. So, therefore, I'm not going to be okay. And does this.
2: I believe you've talked about covert contracts. Is sure. That the, does sure, this sure, kind sure. of tie into that as well? A thousand percent. I've, if you yeah. could explain what a covert sure, contract sure, is, sure. I think that's really fascinating. Sure. And I imagine a lot of people do this without realizing it.
0: Everybody does it. We all have covert contracts with someone. So let's dive into what is a covert contract and why do nice guys have them? So as a nice guy, if you think, one, we don't, we're not allowed to have needs or my needs are secondary or tertiary. Like they're not important. So if I don't have needs in quotes, everybody fucking has needs period. If you're human, you have needs, then I can't ask you to meet my needs because one, it's going to be inconvenience. What if you say, no, if you say, no, I'm going to take that as abandonment. I take it as abandonment. That's the worst thing ever. That's what codependency is. So this is what a covert contract is. This is my partner. If I want to have sex with her tonight as a nice guy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna clean the house. I'm gonna vacuum the, the couch. I'm gonna mow the lawn. I'm gonna take the dog for a walk. I'm gonna do all the dishes. I'm gonna make the money. I'm gonna do all the things. And then she's gonna come home from work and I'm just gonna be, just wait. And be like, She's gonna notice. She's gonna notice. She comes in and is like, wow, the house is clean, thanks. Goes upstairs and starts working. I'm like, fuck. Why isn't she having sex with me? <laughs> that was the deal because the the covert contract is a deal that only one person knows. So she has no idea if I was like, Hey, here's the deal, Katie, I'm going to do all these things. I hope that leads to us having sex still kind of middle of the road, right? But at least it would be an honest contract. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm trading for sex, all of this household work. And sex is a really easy one because nice guys have so much shame and, guilt around having needs sexually because there's such deep needs that that's where they use covert contracts a lot. So again, if we go back to the definition, it is a contract that both people have, but only one person knows about. So think about where do you have them with your partner? Where do you have them with your boss? Where do you have them with your clients? Like where is there not a unilateral or a bilateral contract? Right? And so what what's at the root of this? For a nice guy, the scariest thing in the world is risking rejection because rejection leads to the feeling of abandonment. So they don't take the risk. If I say, Hey, I really want to fuck you right now. She goes, no, I'm just not in the, like my, 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 leg hurts. I'm like, Oh, rejection, abandonment. Fuck. Now I'm, now I'm all messed up. Now I'm not okay as a person because the only way I'm okay is when she's okay or when things are happening between us. So I, I can't take that risk. So I have to do all this stuff in hopes that she picks up on this thing that I know that she doesn't, which leads to so many problems. Think of how many relationships have this as their sexual contract. I have a client that a month ago, I literally said, I want you to write out the sexual contract you have with your wife. She's not in the room right now. Let's do this. And it was essentially that right? Like I take care of the kids. I make money. I look at porn and pretend that I don't. And you pretend that you know that I don't. And if I've done enough good things for you, then I approach you kind of hoping that you pick up on it. You usually turn me down. I pretend that I'm not mad that you turned me down. I go jerk off to porn again. I was like, this is your, this is the actual contract. This is what you're both agreeing to without having had the conversation.
2: Why do you think people are so afraid to have the conversation?
0: It's very simple fear of rejection. It's just straight up. If I say, Katie, this is what I want. And she says, no, for any global reason as a human, she's allowed to say, but I, inter- I have only one way to interpret it as rejection. Do
2: you, you think that's innate or that's something learned by taking on this archetype of being the nice guy or society it's or
0: all of it? Okay. I mean, who, who one, Who wants to feel rejected? Right, but if you're if rejection to if someone doesn't know how to source their own esteem and power, then rejection is crushing. Hmm. So if right now I was like, Katie, as soon as the interview's over, I'd love to have sex, "Ah, I'm just not really feeling it. I have five hundred things I can go do to make me feel good as a human. But if I don't have that and I my sole source of self esteem is her, then I'm fucked. Right? Does that make sense? I
1: I love that. I'm I'm curious because you kinda said you started with the the complete wrong way. Then you're like, oh, we're kind of there. I'll clean. Yeah. We'll have sex. Right. Um. You said that was middle of the ground. What is the right way? Is there the, a better the, way? Is, sure, is it just the, to say, hey, yeah. I want to have sex?
0: Yeah. It's it's actually having a relationship where both of us have been upfront from the beginning. Where, where we, she is my partner. We know, hey, this is what, hey, I can literally have the conversation with her. I can start it. You know, I should do is start it two days prior. Like you know, it's Tuesday. On Thursday, I'm gonna fuck the shit out of you. So get ready. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm sending her a couple of messages throughout the week, et cetera. But there's no hiddenness. She's not like, oh my god, wow, I you cleaned all the shit. You must want to have sex with me. There's a direct relationship with that other person. No different than if you went into your, you know, if, if you guys remember having bosses, and you suddenly were like, hey, I, I want to get paid. They're like, oh, we don't we don't pay you anymore. Like, well, when did this happen? Oh, I just, you know, I just made a decision. Like, wait a minute, I wasn't in on this. Yeah. Or like, hey, I want you to work Saturdays. Am I going to get paid extra for Saturday? Well, we'll figure it out. Maybe. Like, we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But we do it in relationship. Because the fear of rejection is so big. So, a nice guy, by definition, does not know how to source his own self esteem. He is reliant upon external circumstances and external people, especially. And for men, it's 99.9% of the time he's reliant upon women. So, he has this weird fucking gross neediness with women. You ever been around someone who's not okay if you're not okay? It's disgusting. You can feel the pull. Right. I use the example in the book of like, imagine a waiter Like, you sit down to a restaurant and you sit down to eat and the waiter comes up immediately and was like, Hey, it takes your, it takes your order. And it comes back and is like, how's the water? You need more water. How's your fork? Is it really work? Is your knife sharp? How's your napkin? How's the, how's everything in here? How's the air? How's the temperature? How's the tablecloth? You'd be like, bro, the fuck? like <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> and you realize like, it's not about you. He's not really concerned whether you're having a great experience. He's anxious as fuck. And he's not okay unless he know, and he just keeps coming back and doing this, right? Like he's a really good waiter is, is not reliant upon you to be okay as a human. Hmm. He wants you to have a good experience. I want her to have a good experience in life, right?
2: Yeah. I, I think in the book you talk about, um, you know, with dating or example where it's like, if if you have nothing going on in your life, yeah, you're more likely to like, you go on a date with a girl and you're like, oh my gosh. That's all you think about. But if you have so many other things going on, yeah. your life is good. You have friends, then it's so much easier. So that kind of ties into you know the self-esteem and rejection. I'm curious, sure, you know what tips do you have, or how do you help men, you know, deal with that rejection mm-hmm. if they've never been able to face it?
1: Mm. That was kind of my question. Sure. When when she says no for whatever sure. reason, how do you feel? How have you gotten to feel okay with this? And sure.
0: And, Yeah. What do you do specifically? I'm curious. It's a great question. If you so let's think about like a pie chart or a pie. If the entire pie is made up of her decision and that's a no, I'm fucked. Now think if I have an amazing life, if I have friends, if I have hobbies, I have a purpose, I have a mission, I have shit that I do every single day. And that pie is like 89, 95% full of really cool, amazing shit. And she's like, no, Like, cool, I got the whole rest of the pie to draw upon to know that I'm doing well in the world and I'm okay. So really, for guys listening to that, and so that's step one. Step two is you have to have a relationship with rejection. Think about that. You have to have a relationship with rejection and look at rejection and be able to separate yourself from the other person. Right, if she says, no, I don't want to have sex right now because I have really bad cramps, I have two ways I can go with this. I can go, she doesn't want to have sex right now because she has really bad cramps. Or I can go, it's about me. It's, I, I don't have enough hair. I don't make enough money. I should be over six feet. God, if I could only deadlift 500 pounds. You know my mom was right. I'm never going to amount to nothing. I'm such a piece of shit. God, no wonder who would want to fuck me anyway. right? And most guys or a lot of guys go down that road, unfortunately, because they are conditioned so they don't have the relationship with rejection but two they don't have the reference the constant validation from living a kick-ass life like if your life's fucking busy right and you're out there crushing shit you have goals you have ideas again we'll go back to especially for men we need a purpose we need some reason to be on this earth we need something that we're penetrating the world with when i have all of that in the pie and she's like, no, thank you. I have cramps. Like, cool. I'm going to go fuck some shit up outside. I'm going to go shoot my bow. I'm going to go do push-ups. Yeah.
1: It's a beautiful circle of like, if you have all that shit, then it's likely you've experienced a lot of rejection because you went out and tried some shit and then right. you've gotten rejected. It's like, okay, well, that wasn't for me. Well, let's exactly. go over here and try this thing. And now you're filling up that, that pie chart yeah. so that, yeah, when you don't get one thing, you have all this other stuff to fill
0: it up. Yeah. And you realize that rejection is 99 times out of 100 has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Like we've all turned people down for dates. We've all turned people down for jobs, right? There's nothing to do. It's like, sorry, you're just not a good fit.
2: Yeah, it's not personal.
0: It's not personal. So don't make it personal.
2: Yeah, I love this because I think there's so much carryover to life. Like relationships are super relatable for everyone. But it's like the more you get rejected, the easier it is to be better at business or friendships or like whatever. You know, and the first thing that comes to mind is we – we talked a little bit before we got started about jujitsu and it's like I know you've said this before but like anyone who's fought jujitsu for like a year has lost thousands of times thousands of times and all of a sudden it's like you don't take losing personal you don't get all amped up okay I tapped out cool let's start this again shake hands go again and so part of it is just doing it getting rejected it's reps to be better yeah Yeah. getting the reps can
0: you imagine showing up to jujitsu as a white belt first time you get tapped you're like it's just because I'm a bad person (laughs) and then you leave you're like, I'm out. Like, hey, what happened with jiu It's about me, right? It's part and parcel. You're going to lose 5,000 times in the first three months. So really for guys listening to this, it's twofold. Create an amazing life. Get busy, right? Create an amazing life. Have a reason to be here. Have goals. Follow all the Jordan Peterson shit. Get up and make your bed. Have a set of goals. Have something that you're working towards. And have a group of male friends. So the nice guy is most likely terrified of other men, scared of other men, intimidated by other men, views other men as competition, rather than getting the actual nourishment that men need, which is from other men. We need to be around other men, right? So if you have a solid group of guys who are actualized, who are conscious, who are in the same field you are, you're like, yeah, I went on this date and this girl said she didn't want to go out with me again. Cool, sorry that happened. What do you want to go do now? As opposed to not having that and being like, oh, I only am okay if women love me. Hmm. That's a dangerous way to live. And it leads to all kinds of addiction, right? A nice guy usually has multiple addictions. It's just classic. And porn is most likely one of them. And so guy, a lot of, and this is triggering a shit for a lot of guys. A lot of guys hear this and it's like, wow, oh, who doesn't look at porn? Well, a lot of guys don't. I don't. People who have outgrown porn, right? Go fuck real women. Go create relationships, go do other shit, go do amazing shit with your life as opposed to sitting in front of your computer jerking off, which if it happens, great, it happens. Now go do some cool shit.
1: That's awesome. How can a guy, if a guy's in this position, where does he start? How does he find a group of guys? Or I'm sure you, your answer would be, well, he needs to get right with himself first. Mm-mm, come no? join us. Join the guys. Like, I
0: have, I have men's groups. There's There's other men's groups. I have the nation, but there's Mankind Project, there's Man Talks, there's all kinds of men's groups that are popping up right now. But you got it, there's like a, men's work is a path, no different than jujitsu is. No different than Christianity is, if we just take out all like the weird religious shit. It's a path. It will take you from A to B. Men need to be engaged in a path of men's work. This is one of the lies that the 80s, 90s, and the pendulum swing told us, was that we actually don't need to be around each other. We don't need to have male support. We don't need to have brotherhood. We do look at the male animal. Look at the statistics of the male animal. They're not good. Look at addiction. Look at obesity. Look at prison. Look at domestic violence. Look at alcohol. Look at every negative statistic that doesn't have anything to do with breasts or ovaries and men are at the top of it. So we're clearly doing something fucking wrong. We need each other. The nice guy, especially. So be brave reach out, find a men's group, show up and be like, I'm a nice guy and I'm terrified. And they will welcome you with open arms or find me.
2: I love that. Okay. I know we're, uh, we're running short on time. Sure. Just have a few more questions, kind of, uh, more general. So I'm curious, Trevor, you've been through a lot. You've had, you know, a big transformation. What piece of advice would you give your younger self? And let's say like maybe 20 to 25. Um, if you could go back knowing what you know now, and, and tell your younger self.
0: Yeah. I took my life so seriously in my twenties you know, I was working like 80 hours a week. I just wanted to be CEO. I just wanted to be rich. I, I was unfor- you know, fortunately and for, unfortunately I got to work for a lot of billionaires. I was like, this is what I want to be. I want their lifestyle. I want their, the external. But what I would tell myself is go adventure, go see the world, go live the world, go f- fuck up 10 times go start something and not finish it like go seek adventure that period for men if we look at the four archetypes the king warrior magician and lover the warrior time is the 20s like that's when you're out there testing yourself against the world that's when i fought at that age like that's when you really want to know like how much can i take and how much can i do and that sitting in a cubicle is a death sentence to the the male soul So I would tell myself, quit your goddamn job, go live on a boat, go surf, go wander through Thailand, like go, go do shit like that.
2: Awesome. Okay. So on the flip side of that, I'm going to make an assumption here. So if I'm wrong, tell me. Sure. You, you went through that year to live transformation. You did a lot of things out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I'm assuming you continue to do that. Yeah. Continue to grow. So what are, what are some things you're doing right now? that make you uncomfortable or like, maybe you're afraid, but you know, you know, as you said earlier, you know, you're going to grow. You're maybe Mm -hmm. not sure how, but what does that look like for you today?
0: Mm. For two years ago, it was starting this whole movement, right? It was like taking something that was so personal and would require, require me to be front and center public and being okay with that and going down the path of being a public person, which is a whole nother journey right? Of all the incoming shit, all the shit you have to deal with the responsibility of, I have 250 guys in a group who I'm responsible for teams all over the world that I'm responsible for. I have thousands of people messaging me a week, telling me I'm either an asshole and a misogynist or, the, or that I've saved their marriage in a week. So like learning to navigate all of that was hard, but the flip side of the comfort zone for me was I spent five years with no responsibility. I was on the road literally every six weeks somewhere new. So being in a relationship was not my cup of tea. Being in a long-term, a monogamous relationship, not my cup of tea. I remember the first, this lease, I signed a lease a year ago. I'm 45 years old. I signed a lease and was like, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. I bought this couch. I have an article published, like Couch Phobia, from five years ago, which is like, I will never buy another fucking couch. Fuck that shit. That's too permanent. So the opposite of like slowing down was a, an edge for me. Being in the same place was an edge for me. Having relationships with people that lasted more than six weeks was an edge for me.
2: That That's really cool for, for those of you listening. Uh, I'm glad we got there because this doesn't mean you have to go spend 28 days in the jungle in darkness to Not change. It could be a couch. It could be waking up early. It could be, you know, finding that men's group. Yeah. So
0: I had a lot of guys, Taylor, when, when I first did this. You're like, well, I have three kids. What am I going to do? Walk out of my life and go travel for a year? And I was like, no, but you can pick the guitar back up, mm-hmm. right? You can start writing again. You can find whatever that little thing is in you, that whisper, that little flame that you're like, God, I really want to do this. And you're not doing it. That thing that just gets pushed to the back burner and back burner and back burner. And you can pull that in and start to do it. And that will send you on a journey. It will expand you. It will require you to have friction with it of when you're doing it, when you're not doing it. And that will change you forever. Trevor, safe, safe to say you're happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> Why? I'm doing what I'm, I f- I'm on purpose, right? I'm a, two things. I'm on purpose and I live in integrity. My thoughts, my words, my actions all line up. And I literally, I, the, here's the, the key to it, guys. I know what I'm building right? Chapter one of that book, what are you building for years of my life? I wandered around chasing something that I didn't know what it was for decades of my life. Cause I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. And I didn't know how I wanted to serve. And that word scares people. So like, what do I have to become a priest? No, I now serve the world in a very unique way. I get up every morning and I know exactly what the fuck I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what it's going to look like that day but I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and why I'm here and that settled me here. And then being a relationship settled me here. So yeah, I've never been happier I love and, and happy. A, 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 I've never been fuller. I've never had more joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. And, and this is stuff you help with. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: That's what I love to do. Yeah. And I get to, I get to talk to people. I get to share it. The end of the hero's journey is that right getting to come back into society. I'm so fucking lucky to be part of a conversation in the middle of a massive transition culturally every day. I'm like, Oh my God, how did I get to be the one? How come they're talking to me? How come I get to have people listening? It's still, it's still a weird thing. It hasn't landed yet. Right. I've talked to her about that. Like three weeks ago, I was like, I think I may have arrived. Right. Two books, two Ted talks, multiple people, things all over the world. Like maybe, let me like play with this for a little bit. Maybe I think I've arrived. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. This awesome. is incredible. Thank you. Thank so you so much. Coming,
2: Thank you for your time. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or your programs or sure. what, what you're doing?
0: I spend a lot of time on Instagram. I'm at Traver Boehm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. Uh, all of my programs and courses and the nation groups are at man Uncivilized. If you want to get the book, get a hard copy because it's a piece of art at manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. Uh, I have a podcast, The Uncivilized Podcast, where I get to have fascinating people in. Uh, but those are the main places. I'm not hard to find.
1: Awesome. Yeah, the, the book is beautiful. It is art. Thank you. And uh, guess what, guys? If you share this on Instagram and tag all of us, me, Taylor, and Traver, I, t- tell us your biggest takeaway, and I'll buy you the book. Fuck yeah. And I'll send it to you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you coming Um, out. That's it. Thanks so much, Shaver. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Until next time, everybody. Cheers. Peace.